Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we got sort of a weird episode for you guys. Uh, today, we're going to take two topics that we've been trying to squeeze and fit into various episodes and just haven't been able to find a way. Um, there are two topics that are very important to us, so allow us to kind of jump up on our soapbox for a second. Yep, I'm going to be talking about the right to repair. And I'm going to be talking about the Electoral College. Before we jump into that, though, we want to take just a second to thank our two newest patrons, Evan and Mike. Uh, they've just joined our Patreon, and guys, again, thank you from the bottom of our heart. It amazes us that you guys continue to you know, log on to the Patreon and donate to the cause. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your cash. <laughs> so, you know, another thing that we always ask you guys to do is send us your critique, your feedbacks, uh, you know, hit us up on the email or the social media account. I just want your cash. <laughs> well, yeah. But, uh, and I'll tell you what, Evan, one of our newer patrons, definitely answered that call this week. He he got onto our Reddit, which is at Reddit, uh, what is that, dot com slash r slash sense and theory podcast did i get it out right <laughs> just go to the website I I all the it. links are yeah on yeah it. yeah the links are in the description beans was probably going to slaughter me for that one but uh but yeah and he commented on last week's episode and uh it was just like man it was so well thought out like i mean he had points for like each thing so what we thought we'd do is actually read his letter or you know comment on the air today and address it point by point. Yeah, I think it was a uh, fair comments and, and we ought to uh, address them for sure. Absolutely. So if you guys remember, uh, one of the things that we talked about last week was uh, we talked about the Mueller report and uh, you know, Evan wrote to us, he said, for what it's worth, I feel it would have been worthwhile to discuss how Trump's actions has exacerbated the issue of public opinion and media speculation regarding the legitimacy of the collusion investigation and conclusion. I don't think that makes him guilty of anything beyond arguably incompetence, but I think it's a relevant part of the discussion, especially as a way to explain some people's personal judgments on the matter of the outcome of the case beyond stubborn resentment or malice or the like. And, you know, and Evan cited things that Trump had done, like, you know, appointing Barr or mm -hmm. the way that he, you know, kept shouting out the witch hunt stuff and kind of flip flopping back and forth. He was saying that we didn't give enough credit to people who were looking at how shady he was acting right and thinking that he was being right, shady I think you can even look at the firing of comey and say like why why would you do that man if you're right. innocent you just just let the investigation run its course and uh and you know when you're looking at all these things add up then yeah where, where there's smoke there's fire so i i think he's i think he's got a valid point and a lot yeah. of times we will focus on you know, kind of hyper focus, especially if something's unfair. Me personally, yeah. if I perceive someone being unfairly accused of something like that's what I'm going to hone in on and focus on. And and oftentimes at the expense of, of the larger picture. So, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm glad he kind of brought this, brought well, this I to think our too, attention. I think what's easy to do with Trump is I think you kind of you almost take it for granted. I think sometimes, especially like when you're, you know, putting together shows every week or every two weeks like we're doing now. Um, you, you just get in the habit of like Trump doing that stuff. And so that's almost like secondary, right? right. It's so you're just not thinking about there the, in the backdrop. Yeah. 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 So uh, another thing I wanted to, I wanted to kind of point out is that I don't, I don't want to give the impression that we're hammering on the everyday person for suspecting Trump or whatever. Cause and don't get me wrong. As we've seen, as the Mueller report has continued to come out, Trump's done some shady shit. Oh yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's not fair to make those accusations. The media, however, I hold to a completely different standard. And I think what, you know, to your point, I think 
I'm so overzealous going at the media that maybe, you know, I'm giving the impression that I'm, I'm, you know, normal people have jobs and stuff. They don't have time to dig into stuff like we, you know, like we do or stuff, but now the media, that is their job. So I do want to hammer them. So it's, you know, us needing to grow as podcast hosts and do better at drawing that line. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Next in the episode, we had talked about the controversy with Joe Biden and, you know, possibly filling up girls and creepy uncle Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Evan writes in regards to your bit about Biden, I watched and downloaded a copy of that video and yeah, it's about enough to make you cringe out of your seat. At any rate for reference, I downloaded it because I believe that the people who back up, make copies of, and potentially redistribute things like that are the primary reason the argument I'm about to make is valid. I'm concerned that by claiming that info has been scrubbed, you validate people who refuse to accept evidence about any topic, not just Biden based on the assumption that counter evidence has all been wiped from the internet. And I think, uh, I think again, he has a point in that we are seeing some people go to some crazy links to win arguments. Right. Yeah. The guy who's like climate change isn't real. And, and all the evidence to the con or all the evidence proving me right is, as wiped from the internet. It's, it's, it's yeah. removed. It <laughs> yeah. just, and, 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 and if you say the truth, then it just gets removed. And, and I, yeah. and I feel you. And that's a, that's a problem at the same time. People are making a a a living professionally mm-hmm. off of scrubbing things from the internet. Right. right. Like this is it, it's to me it's a bigger problem that, that things are being scrubbed from the internet than people who are using that uh, you know as an excuse to back up ludicrous claims. Yeah. Um. And and man, if people are 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 scrubbing these videos, I, I'm glad you downloaded. I'm glad yeah. you saved it. Someone's got it. That's important. Yeah. Um. And I ask you, Evan, if if I hadn't have said those videos were being scrubbed, would you have downloaded them? Yeah. And when that video got scrubbed, you know, would you re-upload well, I think, it? I, I think the word scrubbed kind of because when I okay, when I hear what I think happened, right? We found that video to Evan's point. You know, Evan goes on to say a little bit later in the letter, he's like, somewhere it's out there. But it's been de-emphasized by the, you know, the algorithms on intentionally, whatever, what have you. Right. right. And I'd seen those. And the only reason I so, knew is because I'd seen those videos three years ago or right. two years ago, maybe, yeah. maybe three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, prior to, to the last election. Um, yeah. So I knew what I was looking for. It was it was hard for, you know, I had to find the right combination of terms to show me that. Yeah. Um, so. So, you know, I, eh. so to have I mean, to have a conversation, we do have to kind of agree to like a ground level consensus that chances are. If you're going to make an argument that has data to back it up, that data is going to be present out there somewhere. And I think that that's, you know, what you have to hold people to. But at the same time, like you said, we can't just be Pollyanna and assume that, that, you know, these large organizations or, or, you know, political campaigns or stuff aren't pushing the views on these videos up and keeping these videos suppressed or in some cases all out scrubbing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I think that is something where, we, we should have acknowledged it, and we just got to find, like, you know, a little balance. Uh, moving on to, uh, we had also talked about Governor Ralph Northam, and Evan writes, I think Theory's point is absolutely valid that the blackface wouldn't be excusable if it were a Republican politician. That said, I don't think whatever the difference there is, that's what you're upset about, is a fair judgment. I'd agree with the central idea that the politician's stances aligning with a person's is more important to that person than the politician's blackface-related history, and so that history is excusable. And I think largely, Evan, that's that's all I was trying to say. Like, I, I'm simply trying to point out the cognitive dissonance there. 
And I don't think that like people who are saying that they're okay with Northam being in office are just cold blooded, like okay with blackface. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. It's not but, that they're okay with blackface. It's that that his political stances um, outweigh. Yeah, yeah. His, at least for the time being, doesn't mean they're okay racism. with it. Right, right, right. So I think uh, again, you know, that was maybe my bad wording, but yeah, no, I absolutely agree with your position there. Um, and finally, you know, Evan had some really good questions for us, and he kind of left this thought. And I would also encourage, you know, here we are kind of engaging in a dialogue with Evan, but you guys feel free to jump on uh, the Reddit, go to the the posting of the last episode and answer Evan's questions yourselves. Let yeah. him know what you think. Engage in a conversation. Uh, he says, what's your take on the quote unquote right to be forgotten in regards to the blackface thing? Can people not change? He says, I mean, the KKK leader who renounced his racist beliefs was capable of change. And while I may not be willing to go so far as to say he'd be prime congressional candidacy material, I think there's an argument to be had there. Uh, this is, of course, setting aside somewhat the aspect of what if it were Republicans that did it. But no, right. it's it, a good question. Well, and, and it's funny because my default position is generally forgiveness, right? Like if you ask me, um, you know, can can someone get better? Yes. The answer is yes. That's why I love Diacon's. Uh, you know, white right meeting the enemy. That's why I love Daryl Davis. You know, mm -hmm. should should you hold uh, the fact that these guys were in the KKK against them now, you know, years later after now they've befriended Daryl Davis and they've renounced their um, their white supremacy? I, you know, no, you shouldn't necessarily hold hold it against them. Forgiveness is important. Um, I think we have to look, though, at how people handle these situations. For example, Northam moonwalking at a press yeah, conference, trying to, trying you know, trying to. to moonwalk yeah, yeah. at a press conference, yeah. uh, you know, that doesn't indicate uh, much of a change of heart. And, and, and it's funny because like this type of, this type of politics doesn't usually play with me. Right. Um, but it's being amplified and we're seeing it on both sides. We're seeing right. it on, on the left. We're seeing it on the right. And I feel like even for people who it doesn't normally play with, we're kind of being roped in to play in that game. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to get away from. So how do you forgive Northam for, for, for going, going, you know, to wherever he was in blackface and at the same time, hold the Covington kids accountable for, you know, for their blackout game, right. Blackface quite put that in quotes, their blackout yeah, yeah, game, blackface. Yeah. But I, you know, I, we want, we want consistency and sometimes consistency is not, uh, realistic. Right. Um, and I don't, you know, that's, that's yeah. my own cognitive dissonance is now clearly on display. Yeah. No, uh, but I because mean, because as someone who, who believes in forgiveness, I also feel like, well, sometimes you do something so scummy, you sh just shouldn't hold office. But no, it's the truth. I think sometimes consistency shows, uh, your fanaticism, your, your, your idealism. And what I mean by that is there's consistency to your principles. And then there's like consistency to, say the party's narrative or external factors and saying that I'm going to consistently support and be upset by all these things and not take these uh, events or situations on an individual basis. So, so how do I feel for instance about Northam, right? Like, okay. So him wearing blackface, you know, in the eighties back then to me personally, like on a personal level, like I get it. Like I want him to, I want him to, you know, say that it's something that he wouldn't do now. You know what I'm saying? Right. Most certainly. But, you know, I understand that it was a different time. Now, as an elected official, I, I wouldn't vote for him, right? Because of that? But here's the deal. Um, because of the blackface? I mean, does, does blackface in the 80s automatically disqualify a candidate in your eyes? 
Yeah. Yeah. I had, man, I got a pretty high bar when it comes to elected officials. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I really do. And I mean, it's not to say that, you know, I'm looking for like some perfect person that's going to, you know what I'm saying? But like, if I found out, if I, well, if I lived in Virginia right now and I found out that, you know, Ralph Northman wore blackface in the 80s and saw that press conference and, you know, what has come since, then, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't vote for him the next time. Um, I wouldn't do it for a Republican. You know yeah. what I mean? However, I will say this. I'm not going to hold that against the 50 some odd percent of black people in Virginia who say that they're completely fine with it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, that is your decision. Right. But I am going to point out that you don't feel that way all the time. And I think it's a good idea if you stop and you think about it for a second. So I don't expect you to be super consistent is what I'm saying. I don't expect this perfect adherence to your fanatic. And then you get confronted with this situation where like, you're like, Oh man, well damn, maybe my position has a flaw in it. And maybe, maybe I shouldn't, or I should tweak it this way or whatever. No, I want you to be able to grow and change. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But when you do that, let's, let's look at why you're doing that. Right. And, and are you doing it for the right reasons? You know? Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So Evan, uh, man, thank you. I mean, that's, that's guys, that's all we want. Well, you know, that and your cold hard cash, but <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, we would love to, you know, get more letters like Evan's, uh, love to hear from you guys in the emails, love to hear show ideas from you guys, critiques, uh, words of encouragement, what few there are out there, <laughs> but yeah, anytime you guys, uh, you know, just like since said all the links are right there in the description, feel free to hit us up. Yeah. Check us out on Reddit hit us up on Twitter. Send us an email. All love is good love. Uh, all hate is good hate. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah. Uh, so let's just kick it right into the right to That'll repair. <laughs> <laughs> so what what is the right to repair? This is a term that's that's being thrown around uh, a lot these days, and I think for some some good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some pretty big corporations that have kind of been embroiled in the fight. Uh, Microsoft, John Deere. Uh, they've both lobbied to kind of curtail these right to repair bills that are that are going into uh, into play. Mm-hmm. So uh, right to repair laws are called fair repair laws. Uh, they typically require manufacturers to public publish repair manuals and sell parts, diagnostic software and tools needed to fix their products. Uh, the goal is basically to ensure that consumers can repair their own devices or pay independent outfits to do so. Simply put. Uh, They argue that you bought the device and you should be able to repair it. So, and the problem that we're seeing is that companies are, are seemingly at least purposefully not putting out these repair manuals, not making it, uh, you know, easy to get a product that you bought repaired through any means, but them, and then also, you know, engaging in what amounts to monopolistic practices uh, with the price of the repairs and the parts themselves. That's so, right. I mean, you know, uh, when yeah. when you look at when you look at kind of the big picture, and I think Apple is probably the best example right now, mm-hmm. uh, because there was a huge kerfluffle back in uh, back in seventeen, the end of seventeen, um, that kind of brought it all to light. Um, companies are using things like uh, like warranty policies. Um, they're using things like like not uh, not releasing parts to, to independent distributors. So, mm-hmm. so Apple, for example, won't sell parts, uh, to anyone. Yeah. You, you, they, 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 they have parts, they have them in a warehouse yeah. and they will sell them to you, but only at an authorized. And I say authorized at an official Apple store. Right. So no independent parties are allowed 
uh, to use Apple. Yeah, parts. I was going to say. So they're not even authorizing like third parties to to do it. That's right. They're not even authorizing or selling parts to third parties. You cannot buy uh, an Apple Home button, for example. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, uh, you know, you've got you've got counterfeiters uh, mm-hmm. often often China yeah. that are making. Uh, counterfeit Apple parts uh, because the market is huge, obviously, to repair phones yourself. It's pretty right. easy. I've done it before. You know, it takes a credit card and a, a special tool. They'll say, I've replaced screens, I've replaced home buttons, et cetera, well, et cetera, I was, was going to say, I noticed a few years back, like all of a sudden, like uh, uh, a surge of people I, I knew, maybe tangentially or something like that. Like, for instance, at work, I, you know, I had a girl come up to me and she was like, Hey, my boyfriend repairs phones. If you want to, yeah. you know, and like, and then I start seeing little signs on the street and, you know, on telephone poles and cell whatnot. phone repair so, yeah. shops right, popping right. up. So, so kind of a combination of factors here. So Apple has previously, um, denied warranty claims and, and service claims for phones that have had third party batteries installed, mm-hmm. which is, which is kind of crooked. You yeah. know, it, it, they won't even repair. Well, they will now, but we'll get into that. You know, they wouldn't repair your phone if you've put in a third party battery. And, right. uh, you know, Apple's repair cost is is jacked way up. And yeah. and and essentially what they do is they they set the price for repair as close, you know, as high as they can. So when you're thinking about repairing your phone, you're like, ah, you know, 600 bucks for a new phone, 250 for the screen. Right. I'll just get a new phone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it gets worse than that. So on top of the the warranty stuff and the and the parts uh, not being available and not releasing those parts, not selling those parts, um, Apple went a step further and they started slowing down phones with old batteries. Mm. So as a battery aged, there was a piece of code in the software that throttled your device. So your phone would slow down and it's not loading things as fast. And you go to click an icon and it takes a second to show up. And, and I think we can all look at that and understand what the plan was, right? You're, you can't just pop open a phone and change a battery. You know, some people will take it to get the battery replaced, but, but overwhelmingly a consumer is not going to do that. And when we have a battery that's dying on a rechargeable device, we expect to get less battery life out of it. Right. Yeah. You just don't. OK, I used to be able to charge my phone and get 10 hours. Yeah. Well, today I got six and tomorrow I get five. And and that's what we deal with. And when it's dead enough, we will go replace the battery. Apple right. said, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. we're going to put a piece of a piece of code in the software that actually throttles the phone, slows yeah. it down. And I think if you if you wonder why you're crazy. Yeah. Apple wants you to feel like well, no, your no, device is old and busted. There's no question to make the performance of your, your machine worse over time <laughs> is for any other reason than to encourage somebody to go out and replace that machine. And replace you know? that. Exactly. Yeah. So so you're looking at your phone and you decide to buy a new one. So, so Apple got you know dragged through the mud and it turned into a big deal. And what does Apple do in response? Well, they release a $29 Apple official battery, which... Yeah. Is what they should have cost in the beginning. Yeah, I was going to say, how much did you say they were? Previously? I think two fifty or something. I don't Jeez. have the numbers on yeah, the yeah, on yeah. the batteries, but yeah. shoot, the, the home screen, the home button repair is ridiculous. You can buy a home button refurbished mm-hmm. uh, for ten bucks. Costs about thirty, maybe fifty dollars, depending on what shop you go to, to get that labor done. It takes maybe an hour. If you've done a ton of them, you might pop it out in fifteen minutes. You know, yeah, yeah. no problem. Cost you less than a hundred bucks. Get your home button fixed. Apple, not two hundred fifty bucks, sucker. You know, send it in, <laughs> yeah, pay the yeah, bill for yeah. for a little home button. Right now, 
I'm, I'm getting ranty here. No, it's okay. <laughs> but I, I'm going to keep okay. going. You are firmly on your soapbox. That's look, what today's about. Look, this is so, so Apple is so disgusting in this realm. They have sued repair shops and, and they, they lost this lawsuit, thankfully. Uh, and there's a guy named, what's his name? Ross. Uh, I've got it here somewhere. He's great. Uh, Lewis Rossman. And he mm. does these Apple repair videos, uh, and and I love watching. He's got his microscope, and he tinkers with these tiny little resistors and stuff. And yeah. you know, he's he's just a great guy. Anyway, he talked about this lawsuit. You should check out the video; it's in the source list. Um, he talked about this lawsuit where a repair shop was getting sued for counterfeit parts from China. Well, the guy was recycling phones, sending off broken parts, like say a broken screen, uh-huh. to China to get them repaired. Right. And then they would send them back, you know, so they were official Apple parts. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little wire had come off and they, you know, they re- resolder the wire and send it back to him. He found a nice lucrative deal refurbishing ac- a- Apple parts and selling them back to consumers at a fair price. Well, Apple seized his uh, seized all of his stuff at customs, you know, and, and went through this big process. They lost the case. But anyway, yeah. that is the picture. Well, of. <laughs> This, so I think this company, like, I think that's clearly, you know, that's uh, for them to be able to, you know, seize all his stuff and lawsuits and all that stuff. That's, that's too much, obviously. Um, but here's a question that I would ask though. We've also, I think most of us, or at least some of us on, uh, on the internet have seen pictures of the crazy Chinese knockoff toys sure, and whatnot. Right. <laughs> so, uh, when we talk about, you know, uh, companies in China, you know, manufacturing parts, is there something to be said for Apple protecting their products from knockoff uh, Well, batteries? sure. You know, you know how you I mean? do it, though? You What's sell that? the official ones on Amazon for a fair price. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, 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 you could get, if you could get an Apple home button from Apple and you knew it was official, do I mind paying 12 more dollars, 14 more dollars for that? Mark it up double. I'm probably going to buy the Apple one. That's, yeah. I think, I think a lot of us are that way. Right. Um, and, and you still, everyone's got to clamp down on counterfeits from, from cologne well, to, to Armani suits, like but what to I'm Jordan's. Is, to, but what I'm saying is, and, I, and, and let me, let me clarify. If I put a battery from China into the phone, do you feel like it should void the warranty? It could, it, it could absolutely yeah. fine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that was not Apple's warranty policy. Apple's warranty policy was if, if any third party repairs have done, even with, with refurbished Apple parts, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll void the warranty. And to me, it's a fine line. You asked me and I said, yeah, real quick, but honestly, no, if, if that battery has not caused any damage, why should you void the warranty? If you can show that that fake battery had a, what a higher voltage output that fried a circuit, then you deny the warranty claim. Well, it could but be. But that's not what this was. Mm-hmm. This was a way to 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 just deny warranty claims. No. I mean, I, I don't see any. No. I, well, there's, I think there has to be a balance. There are, I think there are situations that could arise. And, and granted, I'm not, you know, I'm not, as Pedro would say, I'm not a phone scientist. But um, I think there are situations that could arise where it's really hard to demonstrate in a court or something that this battery caused this issue. However, we do know that 50% of phones that have this battery have this issue. Well, I don't think I've it would seen, ever I've get seen to things court. like that I mean, at work, you know? Uh, yeah. I, and I get it and that's fine, but, but do the work, right. take the phone, look at it. Yeah. If, if the problem has been call, caused by crappy repair, third party yeah. repair, then deny the well, warranty. See, that's, that's, but you don't get to make some blanket statement. Like exactly. It's like the stickers on, on devices. If you remove the sticker, warranty is void. Yeah. It's like that to me, that's crazy. No, that's why I, I think they have a concern and they've been able to use 
a, a legitimate concern to do a sweeping blanket policy that only benefits and enriches them is, 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 you know, is all I'm saying. I think, yes, they've definitely uh, overreached here to a large degree. And to tell you the truth, this is actually something that I think kind of, kind of crosses over because, you know, you're, you're talking about mostly tech, but I see it all the time working in maintenance, right? So dishwashers used to be when I first got into the industry, you could take a dishwasher pump and and pretty much completely disassemble it. Sure. I mean, down to the rubber boots and uh-huh. the individual solenoids and all that stuff. Now, virtually every dishwasher that I come across is encased inside of, it's kind of hard to explain, inside the body of the dishwasher right. to an extent. A plastic, right? it's got a it's, plastic it's, yeah, but it's not impenetrable. just, but it's not just, yeah, it's not just its own case. It's a part of the dishwasher at large. Right. So you've got to fracture that case to even get to the motor. Same thing happened and, with washing machines. So it right. used to be the wear part on a washing machine is the bearing, right. you know, where that, where that basin spins, 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 yeah. spins, spins, and they wear out. They're going to wear out. Now, nine times out of 10, you cannot get to that bearing to replace it. And, and there's no, there's no you know, incredible design, genius design decision yeah. that resulted in that. No, they want to sell you more dishwashers. Yeah. They we, want to sell you another dish, not a bearing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we actually, to, to really put a fine point on it, we had a, we had an episode at work not too long ago where I had a water heater that shorted out. Right. And so it's tripping the breaker. Right. So I, you know, opened the panel and I started testing the stuff. And my question was, is it the breaker? Or is it the water heater that has the issue? If it's the water heater, it's still under warranty. So I'm going to call the authorized dealer that takes care of the water heater, sure. right? <clears throat> so anyway, so I, I test it and everything, and I get down and I figure out that it's not our breaker. It's the water heater. So we call the dealer. He comes out. He sees that I took the panels off, and he's like, all oh, the warranty's void. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, wait a minute. How was I going to determine whether or not the issue was with the water heater or with something on my side? He's like, I, I mean, you pretty much just call us and then we'll, we'll tell you that. And I was like, so I have to pay you for a service charge to find out which one it is. No, man, that doesn't work. And so companies are doing this. I, you know, in fact, I've heard my boss, you know, complain about this with cars for years, the way they've computerized cars and everything else. And and cars are, cars are a perfect example. I think, you know, my dad, if you bought a car, there was a manual available for every piece of that car. Yeah. You knew from from the intake system to the engine to the exhaust manifold, like mm-hmm. every bit of that car was detailed and documented. Go try to find a manual for a, a, a 2019 Corolla. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, really. And it's 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 something that we've lost, and and it and it continues all the way into farm equipment. So so for example, Elizabeth Warren is making a big to do yet again. Elizabeth Warren with some great legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, with with John Deere. So farmers are complaining that John Deere's policies for repair are are just are ludicrous and unfair. Basically, um if you want to repair a John Deere tractor, you have to take it to a, you know, to John Deere. John right. Deere is the only one who has the software uh to make repairs work. Yeah. So so they're doing things like tying uh pieces of physical equipment to the software with an ID. Yeah. So you could go buy the part and you could go put it in, but the software is going to go, ah, that part doesn't have you the still ID. You still got to like reset the software. Right. So now, now John Deere, who has the encryption keys, right. has to go log in with their software and they charge thousands of dollars to do this service. Um, so, so same, same type of thing. We've got computers in the cars. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they're and they're locking people out of repairs for and you got to ask yourself for what reason? John Deere says <laughs> yeah. the reason is to protect us and to protect our environment. That if if they allow farmers to 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 adjust and tinker with their own equipment, yeah, then not only are we going to see an increase in black hat hacking and you know they're going to be tinkering with our software, but Farmers are going to override the environmental safety controls of the tractors. Well, <laughs> women to, to increased global warming. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though, because this is the first thing that jumps in my mind. What if a car company did the exact same practice with a catalytic converter? And we all know about sure. the catalytic converter, right? Now, hang on. I'm, I'm neither a car scientist either. But I can tell you that the catalytic converter hooks into the exhaust system. And, sure. You know, it pulls out and pollutants from I, exhaust. I can't tell you how many cars uh, that, you know, me and my uncle cut the catalytic converter <laughs> off of my car. And that makes it more of a polluter. You know? Well, so be it. And, 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 and there's probably some validity to that if, mm-hmm. if, if you can make your go, tractor go faster yeah. and, it's, uh, and it's limited yeah. Uh, you know, at, at 10 miles an hour to avoid extra pollutants, then yeah, I think you're going to see some farmers cranking their tractors yeah, up, you yeah. know? Uh, but at the same time, if John Deere is just using this as, as a reason to get uh, 2000 extra dollars, every time someone changes a spark plug, right. Then I think we've got a problem. Like yeah. we've got to balance those yeah, two I think, things well, somewhere. I think, I think that's the thing. The catalytic converter is almost like a perfect example, right? Because it directly leads to more pollution. So is every part that they're tying? That's the question. You know, if, if we're down to the point where I can't even change a spark plug without doing it, well, then now you, you've gone again, you've gone too far. You've or what overreached. about replacing an engine? Can I not yeah. go? Can I not go to Farmer John down the way and he's got a, 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 a you know, a halfway broken tractor with a good engine and right. I'll do an engine swap in the garage? You know, right, right. I, I, I just I feel like the freedom to to own your equipment yeah. Um, is more important. And and that's, I mean, also consider the fact that you have seriously shortened the shelf life of the product, right? I mean, think of when you just said that, I was thinking, yeah, in 20 years, in 30 years, we're not going to be digging through junkyards and finding old parts that we can throw in these things. They're just going to be done. Right. Because there's no way to ever, you know, get that computer code and stuff and running little side businesses of junk parts and stuff. All that stuff's oh, out the window. Unless you pay 2500 bucks to John Deere to right. do it for you. I'm- right. So now we've just got, you know, all these. And at the same time, now all these old tractors are just sitting around collecting rust. Sure. You know, not going, what are we going to do with them? Man, you know? e-waste is the largest the largest segment of waste, it is increasing faster than any other segment of waste in the world. Right. And that's now. like, is that like we are, phones and computers, and phones, computers, like- laptops, electronic devices, um, that are just hitting landfills. And, and a lot of times they get shipped to third world countries. They get burned. Toxic fumes get released into the air. Dude. And, and it's because of things like Apple slowing down your phone. So you think you got to buy a new one. And, yeah. and, and it doesn't just apply to phones. I mean, think about, um, you know, screws, that that are under engineered or you know gears in a toy that could be made out of a cheap metal but instead they're made out of the cheapest plastic so that toy breaks i mean when we're talking about shortening the life of products um <laughs> you're talking about creating waste that doesn't need to be created yeah um at you know at, at what cost or at yeah for for profits for huge corporations so like, I, I would say i think okay in this I think that there is a concern on the part of the corporation's behalf for what is proprietary to their products, right? Because, I mean, we are talking about laws 
that are going to force them to put out schematics and manuals and, and, you know, you have to offer up the parts and stuff like that. It's interesting you bring that up because a big part of this debate is around, um, is around copyright, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and trade secrets and things. And when you're talking about copywriting information, like there's a gray area there. Some people believe that there's not enough statute to, to copyright a manual like it's it's yeah. information i mean you're, if you're talking about a diagram of a device it's a gray area you yeah. can't necessarily copyright a diagram you know a creative yeah. work sure but is a diagram is a repair manual well, I think a creative work it's interesting that you have to i think in order to get a patent you have to submit uh, some form of a schematic to show how the thing works. Well, and, you know and all I mean? the companies have schematics. So, yeah, if you yeah. create a devi- device, you have the schematics. So right. it's this weird gray area. So, so people are answering that. Um, you've got sites like iFixit. They are creating repair manuals for all sorts of things uh, individually. So people are creating them. And if you can, yeah. if you can tear apart your device and say this resistor is at this ohm, you know, connected to this over here, connected to that. Yeah, you, there's no stopping that. You right, know, you right. just you can't. The companies would love to, and I'm sure they're going to fight it tooth yeah, and nail yeah. to try to. Well, stop no, people, I think but, I think they get shut down there. I like I said, I have questions about you know having to you know so like for instance, what if we go back uh, to the '60s? And I'm not saying that this is a perfect analogy, but let's say we go back to the '60s and we force KFC to release the 11 herbs and spices. You know what I'm saying? It does, you know, so translate that over to phones however you would. You can't, though. You know? There's well, no translation. apples like, and oranges. I mean. Well, like, so there's nothing proprietary about a phone that makes Apple unique? Sure to, there is. You know what I mean? Sure there is. The question is, um, the question is whether that information is easily discernible, right? So, so KFC's herbs and spices come together in a taste mm-hmm. and you can't point out you know, well, there's seven grains of black pepper and there's, you know, yeah. uh, a teaspoon of paprika. And and to do that, now all of a sudden you're you're crossing lines. Now, if I own an iPhone that I've purchased and I've bought and it is mine mm-hmm. and I take it apart and I can clearly see that's a 12 ohm resistor right. connected to a, you know, a 14 blah, blah, blah. You know, if I can see all those parts, then eh, it's yeah. knowledge. You can't stop me from possessing that knowledge. You can't stop me from sharing that knowledge. No, I completely agree. The question is, can we force the company to tell you that? I, I, I think. Should we be able to force the company to tell you that stuff? I think so. And I think we should also force companies to sell, sell parts. I, I, I yeah. think for a company like Apple to have a warehouse of parts and, and not release them to the public, not release them to third party repair shops um and just hoard them and then charge 250 dollars for what would ordinarily be an 80 dollar repair yeah. i think it's scummy yeah. i think it's it's anti-freedom it's it's pro-waste it's 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 like the most disgusting parts of capitalism all wrapped into one and 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 for the quest for more profit you know as yeah. if apple as if apple needs it interestingly enough after apple backtracked um and offered the 29 dollar batteries uh, they also added a a switch in the settings where you could turn off that quote unquote feature. They <laughs> yeah. were calling it a feature. Yeah. Uh, iPhone scale sales dropped mm-hmm. markedly. They had yeah. a market drop in sales because all of a sudden people's old phones worked just as well as the new ones. You you don't you don't mean to say that the market tried to correct, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, but after you know, after Apple got caught with their with their hands in the bag, you know, right, like right, yeah. only after that happened, and and it's happening all the time, and and no one recognizes when people's hands are in the bag. I mean, it goes back to planned obsolescence, mm-hmm. uh, where companies 
purposely manufacture products to fail. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's scummy. And and there's a balance to be had. I mean, you look yeah. at, look at cars. Sure. We could drop forge pistons and, you know, but, uh, better parts cost more money. So you've got to, yeah. you've got to balance the price, uh, of your goods with the quality of your goods. But look what happened to American car manufacturers when someone who, who actually put put good parts in their cars yeah. came on the scene. You know, you had Toyota and Honda. Cars were going to 160,000 miles when your Ford was breaking down at 60. Right, And right. what happened? The market corrected. Yeah. So yeah. as long as there's enough competition, sure, that works. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about, uh, you know, two entrenched technology companies, the, and, and one is engaging in planned obsolescence and also fighting right to repair and doing these shady things, the other one kind of has to. Or yeah. you're, you know, I mean, you, you just have to, to say, yeah, to stay competitive, especially yeah. if you're talking about a life cycle of a product like a phone where people are buying new ones all the time. You know, I don't think I, I don't think you can you can sell phones on. Well, it's going to last longer. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I mean, I just I don't yeah, No, No, people are much more interested in getting what's new and hot and hip and all. Like so. Stuff. So I think to, to try to circle back and like and answer your question, like, yeah, this is the prime the prime spot for government to jump in and protect people from shady corporations. Like, yes, we can release the repair manuals. You know, if you've, if you've got it, if you created it, if you have it, release it, mm-hmm. let us have it, let us have the parts, sell them to us, mark up the parts, sell yeah. them for a fair profit. You know what yeah. I'm saying? No, and, I, and I walk with you 95% of the way. I think, I think, yeah, if you're engaging in the practice to shorten the lifespan or something like, you know, somebody has gone and they have bought that, and and they own it now. You know what I'm saying? I think you actually you had a quote uh, from a dude who got into a legal stuff with John Deere. With John Deere, right? Yeah. And, and and it's funny because this issue intersects with another one of my kind of kind of pet issues, and that's that's ownership in this new digital domain, right? right. Do you do you own the tractor you bought? Well, it's got yeah. proprietary software, um, you know that that needs updates. You know, I mean, everything's computerized. So, do you own that code? You know, can you make modifications to that code? These are these are unexplored areas. And and I think this quote kind of sums it up. This is from an article um, that is linked in uh, in the show notes. So uh, John Deere argued to the Copyright Office against the right to repair, claiming that people like Schwarting didn't fully own the tractors they've bought. They used <laughs> the equipment under an implied license for the life of the vehicle to operate the vehicle. Tom Schwartz fifth generation farmer and right to repair advocate laughed at this suggestion saying in an on point radio segment where we appeared together, we pay personal property taxes on all our equipment. So when my wife sits down and writes those checks out, I haven't noticed John Deere putting any money into that. Ain't that the truth, man? <laughs> no, that is it's and it's cool that he was on point. Cause that is on point, man. That's yeah. It's, 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 it's on point. Like I own the tractor. Yeah. You sold it to me. And, and, I'm sure there's an end user license agreement when you buy that tractor, yeah. just like every piece of software you've ever run on your phone. I agree, yeah. you know, and he has agreed to allow John Deere to own his tractor, even though he has bought it, yeah. you know, outright. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a weird place to be. And I think as we approach um, these issues moving forward, mm-hmm. a lot of these weird questions are going to come up, come up like, like, okay, so yeah, you've got the freedom to, to not release a repair manual. Well, well, when that impedes on my freedom to repair my own stuff. Right. right. Uh, I think there's also like economic, there's the economic question. Like, well, I see TV repair shops used to be 
all over the place. You could take your TV to get repaired. They're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we do we want to shut down third party uh, right. repair shops? Right. This is an area where I feel like people unskilled labor. You could learn how to repair phones. <clears throat> Go yeah. get a job doing it. Start a business doing it. And they, yeah. they are, but it's being hampered yeah. by companies like Apple. Yeah, no, I think, I think there's no question that they can't. You know, any, anything, like I said, you had said, that I, I question whether or not they have to release the repair manual. But the idea that anybody could come up with a repair manual and that they could interfere with that is ludicrous. And, I mean, and they're not. I, that's I'll, I'll say I fix is, it. Uh, I don't think has been embroiled in any big well, legal I know. battles Okay, yet. well, so check this out. I know that they're in some, uh, what was it, end-user license, license yep, agreements. Yep. There are provisions against uh, reverse engineering. And some of them are very creatively written and you know it's saying that you can you can reverse engineer something to make sure that your stuff works with their stuff. I think those have been shut but, down by the courts. I think I and I probably should have been on my p's and q's on this episode, yeah. but I'm pretty sure uh, the Supreme Court heard some stuff and said, "Nah, you can reverse engineer anything if you put your hands on it, yeah. and you can look at it. Yeah. You can take it apart and figure out how it works. Right. I'm well, pretty sure the courts have spoken on that. Well, that's good because I mean that's what I'm saying. Like with this one, I you know I may not have all the answers, and you may not have all the answers, but I can I can listen to that John that quote about the John Deere situation, and it's kind of like you know that Supreme Court justice I reference all the time. I know it when I see it, and that ain't it. <laughs> like that's not the way life is supposed to be. You know what I mean? So. I sold you a tractor for sixty thousand dollars, but I, I I still pretty much own it. Yeah, I, I pretty much own it. <laughs> All right. So uh, so is it my turn to jump up on the? It's box? your turn to jump up on the soapbox. Oh man. heck yeah, man! All right. So predictably, since the two thousand sixteen election, in which a candidate who received the majority of the popular vote did not win the election, uh, there has been a movement building. Primarily amongst Democrats, you don't say to abolish the electoral college amongst uh, Democrats. Really? <laughs> yeah. Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Peter Buttigieg. It's Boot Edge Edge. Buttigieg. Yeah, that's straight Did from the it? horse's mouth. I think Buttigieg. I got it. You helped me with this. Buttigieg. The uh, they have outright called for the abolishment of the Electoral College. Uh, Beto O'Rourke said there's a lot of wisdom in the idea. <laughs> Screw you, Beto. Uh, Kamala Harris said that she's open to the idea, right? So all of a sudden, and, and I say all of a sudden, but it's been happening pretty much since Trump got elected. Some articles came out before then, but there's just been an explosion. And now that we're entering the primary season, uh, you know, as the candidates sound off on it, it's screw the Electoral College. We have to get rid of didn't, the Electoral Didn't Clinton College. lose the popular vote? Uh, Clinton, no, Clinton won the popular vote. She won the popular no, vote. No, Bill Clinton. By, uh, no, Bill Clinton did not Bill lose Clinton the popular vote. Bill Clinton did not vote. lose the popular vote? No, 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 no. There have been, uh, there have been... What is it? Five or six instances in history. And if you give me just a second, I can name them to you. It's 2016, 2000, 1888, 1876, and 1824. And, and, I, and I stick by my story. But that is the only time that a person won the election without winning the popular vote. Okay. For those instances. Yeah. So um, I'm an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's okay. But uh, according to a recent Vox article, um, Senators Brian Schatz, Dick Durbin, Dianne Feinstein, and Kristen Gillibrand introduced a constitutional amendment that would abolish the Electoral College, a position that Vox says has become increasingly popular among 2020 candidates as the election gets underway. The ratification of the amendment would mean presidential candidates would be directly elected by the national popular vote. Separately, Senator Jeff Merkley has also introduced a package of election reforms, including a bill aimed at getting rid of the Electoral College. And like I said, 
there's been a litany of think pieces. And so what it amounts to, why everybody is, is so upset with the Electoral College, it kind of boils down to four things, all right? The first thing is that people say automatically it's undemocratic. Right, and, and, and this is one that, that I can kind of get behind um, because on its face, it's like the Condorcet thing in, in, in Vermont, yeah, right? Yeah, it yeah, really we is. Like, right, right, when we're talking about the voting methods, if if more people vote for a candidate, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, that's the person who should that's be the in person office, who should right? Win. I mean, your sense of fairness dictates, like, yeah, that that makes makes perfect sense. And and if we were a democracy, then we would use a democratic means like that to select our president. Mm. But we are not a democracy. So when they say it's undemocratic, I say, yes. And in fact, it is. That's part of what makes <laughs> us a republic. So So here's the thing. The way the Electoral College works, for anybody who, you know, is still wondering or forgot, you know, civics, um, is that we don't actually vote for the president when we vote in a presidential election. We actually vote for a slate of electors. And now that slate of electors is chosen by the two parties. There's a Democratic slate of electors and there is a Republican slate of electors. Each state gets a number of electors uh, in proportion to the amount of senators and representatives that they get. There are two senators for every state, and there is a representative for every, I want to say, 700,000 people uh, in each state. I could be, you know, a little bit lower, a little bit high on that. So basically, however many representatives you have in the House and however many senators you have in the Senate, that's how many electoral votes you get. So when you vote for president, uh, let's say you vote for Donald Trump, he is the Republican nominee. Therefore, the Republican Party uh, in the state of, let's say, Wyoming, uh, takes the electors that they've chosen, and those are the people who are going to attend the Electoral College, which actually takes place in between Election Day and Inauguration Day. And it is at the Electoral College that the president is actually chosen. Right. Right? It's not really on Election Day. So, you know, why is there all this confusion about, you know, how it works and everything? Well, we have tweaked and changed the Electoral College over time since it was originally instituted to a point that um, those distinctions, what makes it not so much a direct popular vote, are, are shrinking and, and, and they're going away, right? So, for instance, a lot of states have bound the electors to the popular vote in the state, right? right? So that means in the original Constitution— that slate of electors that the Republican Party sends forth, and generally, you know, they're, they're you know, an ex-governor, uh, you know, just notable people in the party in the state. Um, but anyway, uh, that elector, once they get to the Electoral College, they are actually free to cast their vote for whichever candidate they see fit. <laughs> now, the idea is that they're going to go the, the way that the state, you know, has voted. Sure, they're going to represent vote. their people. But the founders left that in there. In the case that a demagogue or a tyrant or a reality TV show host and shady <laughs> businessman uh, is running for president. So that way the electors, if that person could convince the majority, you know, that he was worthy of being president, those electors were one of the fail safes to stop that from happening. Right. Kind of a bulwark against, uh, you know, the tyranny of the majority. Yeah. If you will. Well, in at least 20 states, we eliminated that bulwark. We said whichever way the popular vote in this state goes. That's the way the electors are going to vote. So 
30 states, the electors are still free to do whatever they have. And it happens very rarely. There were actually, when they do that, when they go against the popular vote, uh, they're called a faithless elector. And there was actually, I want to say four in the 2016 election. So I think there was. And did they go against Trump? There was one uh, who was supposed to vote for Trump and did not. Okay. And three who were supposed to vote for Hillary and did not. Interesting. And so, you know, the margin between the two was so great that it wouldn't have made a difference. Sure. So I, I understand where people are coming from. Like, you know, your gut reaction when you hear that, you're like, okay, so you're, you're telling me that I'm actually electing a cabal of politically connected people who will choose for me who the president is. Well, the like, funny thing is, you know, everyone's like, oh, get out there and do your duty and vote well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gotta get the rug pulled out from under you there. I understand how, it, you know, the idea there, but the rightly or wrongly, and, and I happen to think rightly, the founders were worried about the tyranny of the majority. Sure. Right? And I think it's a valid concern. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at something... Uh, like Nazi Germany or the reign of terror in France during the, the French revolution or anything. It's <laughs> how many people watch the Kardashians, how many people like you too. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not crazy to envision the majority getting swept up in a movement or the masses, you know, say, say votes are being bought with the promises of favors and stuff like that. Anyway, the majority sweeps up and it's not a bad idea to put that bulwark in there that can say, whoa, pump breaks. Now, the thing is, they do have to be people of high quality character, right? Sure. And, yeah. and, and it's, as, as much as it can be a bulwark, it can also be, uh, you know, just uh, just enshrining the rich and powerful, right? Right. If those notable people are, are you know, tied in with, with the elite, um, then, you know, they can, they can stop like a Bernie Sanders from, you know, coming yeah. and taxing the hell out of them. Yeah. They can stop a, you know, a free college president. So it, it seems mighty electoral college on its face. It's, it seems mighty undemocratic. Yeah. And well, so the question is, do you want to live in a pure democracy where you are subject to the whims of the majority? And, and so it is, or do you want to live in a Republic? Right. I mean, that's the question. Right. And, and when you talk about, you know, people who watch the Kardashians voting and possibly <laughs> what 16 year olds voting, uh, which is another kind of democratic talking point, yeah. you know, lately lowering the voting age. Like, yeah, not, yeah. not really. But on the flip side, do I want some cabal of elite, um, you know, politicians and, and business owners deciding for me? Like, nah, not not really either of those things. Well, one of the things to remember is that, you know, the electors generally change. You know, they're they're again, they're chosen by the party and whatnot and everything. We haven't seen a ton of faithless electors over the history. And and, and again, to well, that's your point, a good sign. It could happen, but it's not like you know, it's not like you could get seven people and flip a presidential election. You can if it gets real close and we'll we'll get into some of those cases. But um you know, it does take like a concerted, you, you got to have 270 electoral votes as pre presently constituted to win. So you kind of got to be somewhat close there anyway. And I think that if we had, if we had electors who, you know, just brazenly, brazenly like went against the will of the people, then we've got larger things going on as it stands. Right. So what do I mean by that? Let's say we've got Hitler who's, you know, up for election. All right. Yep. And 230 electors defect from the vote and choose Hitler. Uprising, correct? 
I mean, yeah. there's going to be an uprising, right? So let's uh, let's take it the other way. Let's say that there's uh, 230 electors who defect from the will of the majority and actually oppose Hitler and say, no, we're not going to cast. Well, there's probably still going to be an uprising. You know what I'm saying? But at any rate, once you get to that level, it's it's basically it's like a signal. You know what I mean? So uh, well, I don't. Think- I guess I don't understand if 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 99 percent of the time, uh, you know, the electors follow the popular vote and the popular vote wins the electoral college, then why the heck do we have it anyway? Like, if it's okay. not, you, so you know, like, again, what's the purpose? So, again, so the idea is... is they that, didn't save us from Trump. Yeah. The idea is, let's look at the situation as we stand, where there's 30% of the country voting, right? And we vote in, you know, Trump obviously has not triggered, you know, the, the masses to be up in arms. There's a lot of people pissed off and upset. But let me let me take it back to Hitler for just a second. Let's say Hitler's coming in, all right? 30% of the population voted, and the electors stop Hitler from getting into office, right? Well, now you have the rest of the country. You know, I'm sure that whoever represents Hitler's constituency is going to be upset and up in arms, but the rest of the com- country has the opportunity to wake up and say, oh, thank God the electors were there, and they stopped that. Uh, look at where we were and realize, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, like, you do not have that if we're going with majority votes. It is simply, and, and I want to remind you of something for just a second, okay? The, in, in 1982 or 81, 80, whatever, Reagan and the religious right were the majority. Mm. So, you know, all these people saying, you know, we want the majority of the vote or, you know, majority vote and, and all that stuff. It's because right now they think they got the numbers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's not forget that those things ebb and flow over time. Sure they do. And anything that we can do to institute a level of protection uh, for the minority without crossing over, as some would accuse the Electoral College of doing, into the tyranny of the minority, I'm all for. Sure. And, I, and I don't think that the Electoral College has yet met that threshold. I'll tell you what the Electoral College most certainly doesn't deserve I would like to read two quotes from a Vox article about the exact thing that we're talking about, right? So in this Vox article called Why the Electoral College is the Absolute Worst, explained, uh, the author says, For decades, it's been assumed that the 538 electors will essentially rubber stamp the outcome in their respective states, and they mostly have. But there's scarily little assurance that they'll actually do so. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, about 30 of the 50 states have passed laws binding their electors to vote in accordance with the presidential popular vote in their state. But in most, the penalty for not doing so is only a fine, and it's unclear whether stiffer penalties would hold up in court. It's never been tested, and the Constitution does appear to give the electors the right to make that final call. It then goes on to say, in the same article, In any case, if we had a process in which the electors were notable citizens who were chosen because they're supposed to exercise good judgment, then maybe it would make sense. But in the system we have today, the electors are chosen to be rubber stamps. Well, you just said that we should be worried about them being rubber stamps. Like that is the level of of argument that we're getting against the Electoral College when really I think it's cover for we haven't won elections in a while. Here's two elections, you know, hotly contested elections that went against us and we're pissed off about it because mm-hmm. we think we have the numbers. And I get that, but I'm saying like argue argue from there. Like don't don't 
try to come at me with, you know, like, oh, well, you know, if they weren't rubber stamps, but they well, should be rubber you stamps. Can't, and- you can't argue from there because that's that's <laughs> not an argument. No, you, you just we lost a minute ago. We just had a question about whether they should be rubber stamps, whether we should be in a democracy, whether we should be a republic. Okay, I see what you're saying. For I, God's yeah. sakes, dude, Vox, Vox is also, well, and I'm not, I'm not just going to put this on Vox. This is on a lot of places. All of a sudden, there was an upsurge. And the amount of people saying, well, you know what? Part of the problem with the electoral college is that it's racist. All right. It was, I'm sorry. It was, it was the electoral college was started to protect slavery. That is like the hot new thing in all these think pieces, right? This is, this is largely horseshit. Okay. For one, once you get into these articles, what they're conflating it with is the three fifths compromise, which absolutely was to protect slavery. Right. So right. that's, that's where they decided that slaves would count as three fifths of a person and go towards the population of a state to help determine representatives and so on and so forth. And that was absolutely to solidify and help the South maintain power. Sure. When they were vastly outnumbered by the people in the North at the time, the free states. So, but to take the electoral college and say that that is a part of that is just, it it completely discounts all the concerns that the founders had. And it's largely based off this one quote from James Madison, where he says, uh, you know, with, with, I'm paraphrasing with the North having much laxer laws about who can vote and the South being unable to account for, uh, you know, black people, then th- our compromise that we found was the electoral college. Right. He said that like 40 years after the fact, like reading from his notes, the thing about the, 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 con- the constitutional Congress was, it was a closed session. So largely, the only thing that we have to go off of is Madison's notes and various attenders' recollections. But here's what we absolutely do know that happened based on those recollections and other portions of Madison's notes. Roger Sherman, who was from Connecticut, the guy from uh, Rhode Island, uh, you know, all these little states, they stood up and they said, dude, if, if we just do a national popular vote, like New York and Virginia are going to dominate everything. Right. Like, and that was their concern. You know, you had people, there was a guy from Pennsylvania who was the first to suggest the national popular vote, but it very much so was a case of small states, both South and North, saying we don't want to just trade tyranny from England for tyranny from Virginia or New York. Right. And and that's the argument that, that sits with me the most, um, because the population is largely concentrated in California. And New York. Right. And if we're talking about a popular vote, you can message to people. And, and, and people who live in geographic areas have different concerns. That's why they move to different geographic areas for in, in a lot of cases. You know, you yeah. got people going to Portland with a very similar mind frame. That's yeah. why Portland is Portland. Right. right so right. If, if these population centers uh, can be messaged to and you can win an election, then sure, you're mm-hmm. going to ignore everyone else. But I would say... How different is that from the electoral college situation? We do very much have battleground states, right? I mean, this we is do. part of why Trump won. So in largely the same way, you've got battleground states where politicians focus and they ignore the rest of the country. Well, it's actually, I would argue that that is a feature, not a bug. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the state of Ohio, which is a perennial swing state, you know, battleground state, is a, a much more diverse and representative state of the country at large than either Kansas or California is. 
In fact, if I want to listen to a speech from a presidential candidate, I want it to have happened in Ohio more so than I want it to have happened in Kansas or California. <laughs> because uh, Ohio is, is incredibly diverse politically, because, racially. Yes, uh, because in California, I'm saying things that are going to get me elected by Californians. And they are overwhelmingly, you know what I'm saying, overwhelmingly liberal in California. In uh, Kansas, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to say, well, you know, I'm not sure about abortion. And, and, but I can't do that in Ohio. I have to be more like who I am. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't just devolve into what's going to get me votes in that region and fire up the crowd and make a, a nice blustery, you know, pep rally. Or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of so, sense. So that's basically, I'm not, another thing that we have to remember, though, is that the battleground states shift. You know, I mean, like Michigan was not always a battleground state. You know, Michigan, that's a, that's a decent Virginia point as well. just went blue for like the first couple times in, and I don't know, 50 years. So yes, you know, the bigger states are going to, you know, you, you got to have a, a healthy amount of electoral votes for you to, you know, be in the running to be a battleground state. Um, but you know, I mean, you're still going to, you know, like a, a, a Maine is, is becoming a battleground state and it's still going to get more consideration than we are here in Kentucky. And I, you know, to, Largely, I accept that. You know, I understand that that's those states, again, have almost you can take the polling data or, you know, from those states after an election and hold it up next to the popular vote. And like nine times out of 10, they match within, mm. you know, small percentage points. And so in a sense, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think the idea that there's also an argument that gets tossed out that, that kind of bugs me. I understand where it comes from. And to me, I think. In a sense, it's the most salient point against the Electoral College. But it's that if you take all the voters in California and all the voters in Wyoming and then you look at their electoral votes, I believe California has 55, it might be up to 56, and Wyoming has three. And you compare it, Californians, or I'm sorry, Wyoming's, a vote in Wyoming is worth 3.18 times more than a vote in California. You get right. to... You know, just from the population numbers, it takes this many more votes to get those electoral votes going for the candidate that you want in California than it does in Wyoming. Sure, sure. I understand that argument, right? I get it. Uh, I think, you know, they, they're making the argument that California is, is underrepresented because they have 12% of the population and 10% of the electoral votes, right? <laughs> right, right. But Fair the, argument. But what's interesting is when we look at who actually votes, those numbers get way closer to the middle. And in some respects, they start to do the opposite. So for instance, the, the four major, if you look at just the number of eligible voters, and I'm not, I'm not trying to play number games here. I'll explain this when I get done, but I do have to, if you just look at eligible numbers or voters, California, Texas, New York, and Florida um, are the most underrepresented, meaning that they are getting the least bang for their buck with their vote. Right? However, if I look at the number of people that actually vote, Texas is grossly overrepresented. Really? Yeah, because the number of eligible voters is not the number of people who actually vote. And should there come a day where 100% of the U.S. population votes, that will be a concern. Right now, it's not really. Check this out. In the 2016 election, the six states that were over, or I'm sorry, very underrepresented were all red states with the exception of Virginia. It was uh, Michigan. North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Florida. In each of those states. And that's only when you compare actual voters and not yeah, that's, eligible that's voters. That's using right? actual voters, not eligible voters. 
So really, in that election, the people who were getting screwed with the Electoral College, when you look at what's happening on the ground, were the red states. Now, I don't think that's cause for, you know, Republicans to be up in arms or upset about it. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> well, don't tell them because they're going to want to abolish the EC2 after well, they because, hear that. I because mean- it, it varies in fluxes. And, and you know, we're you're just you're not going to have a perfect system. Right, right. You're not. The system's going to be you know, So let's let's talk for a second about the alternative that's being that's being proposed, right? Uh I think actually, interestingly enough, I can kick it to Andrew Yang for just a second because he had a really clear tweet about the electoral college on Honestly, Twitter. the more I hear from Yang, the more I like Yang. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I'm there yet, but I'll tell you what, when I read this, I was like Damn, that's that's almost every point that he I wants make. to give me a thousand bucks a month for free. I mean, he's basically <laughs> bought my vote already. So, <laughs> yeah. no, so, I kid. So let's parse this for a second. He says, "I think Democrats calling for getting rid of the electoral college are off base for a few reasons. Of course, I get the beauty and simplicity of saying whoever gets more votes wins. It seems like the essence of democracy and has a strong innate appeal. Yep, it does." Uh, he says, first. Getting rid of the Electoral College would require a constitutional amendment. This would be a non-starter with many legislatures whose states would lose electors. It's an impractical conversation to raise. But, but that's not quite the case. Um, because when we go back to the states who are saying that their electors uh, have to cast their votes for the popular vote in the state, uh-huh. if, if enough states that total 270 electors pass those laws, haven't we essentially... Uh, bypassed the electoral college without a constitutional amendment state by state then you are state by state having a a popular vote however the the offset of the electoral college in the electoral votes would uh it doesn't quite work out that way it's not the same as having it's a close. straight up popular vote i think what you're actually forgive me but i think what you're referring to is there's a movement of states to tie their electoral votes to the national popular vote, ah. not the state popular ah, vote. Ah, ah. Yeah, so basically there's, there's 14 states, I think, and they're ready to sign on to this pledge. They're trying to get up to 270. And the idea is, is that whatever the national popular vote comes to, that's who their electors will vote for. They're going to make it a law that their electors have to vote for that person. So if you can get enough states to total 270 votes, and if all those states are okay with being subverted by, you know, that's fine. But can you maintain that coalition? I, you know, for one, I don't know if you can. For Maybe. two, will it pass the muster when you have a, it laid out in the constitution, how the presidential election is supposed to work. Will it pass the muster for the state of Texas to tell, you know, the majority of Texans that despite the fact that they voted for the Republican candidate, their electors are going to go towards the democratic candidate because of this law. <laughs> now they give the the constitution does give leeway to the state legislatures to decide things about, you know, the electors and whatnot, but man, I don't, I don't know if that walks past the Supreme court. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so, and it is like he says, it's a, it's a non-starter because you know, Wyoming and Kentucky and, and, and all them, they're not going to do something that gives up, what they've got. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's already, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's already not quite democracy. Are we gonna, <laughs> yeah. Although it's got a, it's got, it's just kind of a weird, it's a weird thing, man. This it is, is a weird thing. I think it's, 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 it's a creative, it was their version of a creative solution to a problem. 
And But I think there might be a way to tweak it, but we'll get into that here in just a second. Yang continues. He says, second, the incentives would drive candidates to campaign in high-density cities and big media markets. It would skew both campaigns and policies against lower-density rural areas in a very direct way. And I don't think – I've seen people, like, argue against this or say that that's good and all that stuff. But I don't think there's any way to ignore the fact that that's the case. Man, I think for a lot of people, especially on the left, Democrats, when when they think rural voters, they think white supremacy. Yeah. They think uneducated, Rube, Hicks. Um, so, so to them, <laughs> you know, that's – that's fine. You know, they want those people out of the elite. It's kind of, kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Who do you want? You know, don't, who, do, do you trust the Kardashian watching populist, to, you know, to, yeah. to vote? Like, so they're, they're thinking the same thing. They're like, right. here we are. Yeah. Take away their vote. Fine. Take away, you know, politicians won't be able to pander to them anymore. Right. And, and maybe we, maybe we see a step back from nationalism. You know, maybe we yeah. see a step back from, from populism, uh, from right. Trump's specific brand of populism. Uh, if those rural voters, you know, don't really matter to elections anymore, which which would be exactly what we're talking about with the EC. So let me let me flip that for just a second. So in 1981, the majority of the country thought that those liberal voters in the cities who they outnumbered, right, were just hippie communists who really didn't deserve a voice. So maybe we should get rid of the electoral college because it's not fair that California's 56 votes gets to go to the Democratic side when really we're the majority. So why aren't we able to, you know what I'm saying? That is exactly what it's to protect. It's very easy to take when, when you know, say it's rural urban voters or say it's black voters or say it's whatever, to take that minority and say, well, it's cool and they should be protected and everything, but we are the majority and we are the ones who should set you know, how country goes, dude, it is, it is still really hard. It's happened five times, uh, that the popular vote in the electoral college didn't really match up. It's happened five times in 200 and some odd years. It's really hard for that circumstance to happen. Right. And all the other times that it's happened, we're talking about minuscule shares of the popular vote. Right. So like Bush lost the popular vote by half a million votes. Uh, if we go back to 1888, Harrison lost the popular vote by 90,000 votes. 90,000, man. I mean, the the country was split. It yeah. could have went either way. And you know, in in this sense, this you know, this it broke this way with the electoral. Heck, you unstuff the ballot boxes, and who knows? <laughs> with yeah, with and in fact, especially in that 1888 election, with the uh, with the majority vote, it breaks the other way. But still, we're talking about elections largely where the country was divided almost 50 50. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's not like we're talking about, you know, somebody who's, you know, 70% of the country is behind them, but they won the electoral college. No, it hasn't happened. I know 3 million votes was a lot. I, I know. I get it. And I, again, I do think there need to be some tweaks to the electoral college, but let's keep it in context is what I'm saying. Right. So Yang's third point, he says, third, it runs the risk of making Democrats seem like we are losing elections by the rules and have, that have been in place for decades. So we need to change the rules. That's a very unprincipled place to be. We need to win an election by the rules we have before we call for any changes. And I, and I think if you're a Democrat going like, <laughs> ask yourself if, 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 if it was flipped yeah. and we're talking about Trump here, would you be making the same argument against the electoral college? Well, you, like if Trump had won the popular vote yeah, and yeah. lost the elect, like would you entertain Republicans 
calls to end the electoral college? Would you? Yeah. Would you even consider? No, it I mean, for it a, would be it would for be, a half second. They're subverting our norms, right? right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so Yang makes a very, very good point there. Yeah. Um, and and it shows that Yang is is aware of 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 these things on multiple levels. I loved this tweet from yeah. him because because he really nails it home. And then his fourth point is like is kind of is kind of the the home run. Yeah, he says, if I were to advocate for any change, it would be to make states award electors proportionally instead of winner takes all. This would lead candidates to campaign everywhere and not just the 12 battleground states. I believe Americans would appreciate the change a great deal. And it's and funny cuz I cuz I love this. This yeah. seems like compromise to me, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like tweaking things to make it better. And I was on a Facebook thread with a with a bunch of New York liberals, you know, and 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 I point I I copy and pasted his tweet, um, you know, screenshots of the tweet and said, here's, here's what Yang thinks. And, and this guy comes back, gets tons of likes on his comment, of course, uh, who says the center position is not always right because halfway between fair and unfair is not, <laughs> you know, is not somehow halfway it's fair. It's still unfair. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going, and I, and I answered back, well, I think that, uh, our definitions of fair are different. Yeah. Because I think the electoral college plays out in some very, uh, you know, or a popular vote plays out in some very unfair ways. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. I, so so it's easy for people to 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 you know brand him a centrist and say he's you know he's just he's wishy washy. But no, I like this because Yang is seeing both sides of the issue mm-hmm. and going, "Hey guys, yeah, like here's an awesome, yeah, just award him proportionally." And and his point is great. Um. Because it kind of breaks down the battleground state. Like now we got to fight for everyone. No, everywhere. that's no, that's the beauty of it is, and and Maine and Nebraska are actually already doing this, right? And the beauty of it is, is that now there are still two electoral votes that are basically like at large, but in essence, you're you're voting by district in a sense. Because think about it, the rest of those electoral votes are your representatives. So in a sense, like I mean, you know, it's not going to break down perfect, like geographically and all that good stuff. But you were saying, you know, if there's a district here that, you know, would like to go blue and a district here that like to go red, you have that much more nuance to your vote. And as we've discussed on the previous, anytime you add value to the vote, anytime you add nuance to the vote, you get a much more representative answer. It also means that you can message to people in Kentucky again. You know, right. a Democrat can message to people in Kentucky again. Yeah. And your vote as a Kentuckian, as a blue Kentuckian, Mm-hmm. actually matters because you may swing some electoral votes, even if it's three, even if it's four, even if it's yeah. one, Yeah, uh, you're going to swing some electoral votes by yeah. making your voice heard. I don't see how that can be a bad thing. It's, it's fantastic. And I'm going to tell you, I'm this is, this is the last point that I'm going to leave you with. Um, and this is more, you know, that is very positive, but I, but I just want to make sure that people understand what happens if we, if we go down this electoral college vote, right? So like, or taking it away, sorry, taking away the electoral college. Not only do you have the problem of the, the tyranny of the majority, right? Vox, God bless him, was honest enough to put out an article entitled, uh, I'm sorry, I've got to paraphrase it, but it's basically, um, you know, everybody's complaining about the electoral college. Really, the Senate is the problem. Mm. And it it's honest. I'll give them that because any argument that you make about the electoral college is absolutely 100% spot on about the Senate, right? <laughs> Why does Wyoming have two senators yeah. and California has two senators? So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about why that's the case in the Senate. And there's your answer. 
Mm. That is why we need the electoral college. Well, explain yourself. Why you know do we need why? Well, because, why two senators? Because uh, when, when Vermont's tiny. Actually, actually, I, I can actually just refer back to what you said: federalism. Because we believe in this country, and that's what the founders believed, and I think that's what we largely have agreed with: that the people who live in Montana and the people who live in Arizona may have very different opinions about how things get done. Now we have a house that's going to represent the majority, right? The majority is going to be able to represent all these representatives, but the Senate is that voice of the minority. It's where everyone's equal. Mm. All the states are equal. So the concerns of citizens in Montana are just as, they're weighed just as heavily as the concerns of citizens in, you know, Nevada. Right. And, and I think that's something that's important to our way of government because different Different states, different regions, different provinces, whatever you want to call them in other countries that use federalism across the world, um, have their own outlooks. They have they their own. And you want to and talk about breaking filter bubbles. That's how you do it. It's it's one thing I like about being a federation of states. I like the diversity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I like that you can up and if you don't like Kentucky's gun laws, up and move to Wyoming. Right. You know, you right. don't like being taxed out the anus in California. Up and move somewhere where there's low where there's low taxes. Um, you don't agree with uh with the liberal positions on yada yada yada. You know, you know, homelessness and you know this that and the other. Go find a state that that works for you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's I think the diversity is an, is important. I think mm-hmm. it's good. Um, at the same time, we've got a federal government that establishes some guidelines. You know, I think that's important as well. Otherwise, we'd just be individual countries. You know, right. why aren't we? So I, you know, it's the beauty I, of I our see, system. Yeah, it's I, balanced. I see, you know, they're I talking about point. getting rid of the Senate. We have the house and you know what I'm saying? Those two things have to work in conjunction for things to work. And I know it makes it hard, but that, that article from Vox and this stuff about the electoral college, I, I don't go as far as Yang did where he said, well, I, I do think that the optics of wanting to ditch the electoral college when these two have gone is sour grapes, you know, but I, I don't think that Democrats honestly feel that way. I think uh, by and large, I think that they're frustrated. I think that they, they, they won that damn vote in 2000 and they won this damn vote in 2016. Mm-hmm. And why aren't their policies getting enacted? Guys, it's, we talk about on this show, every episode, there's a, a lot that isn't working the way that it's supposed to. And we've all got to pitch in and help and have conversations and make it work because democracy and, 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 you know, freedom and all this good stuff. These are fires that have to be tended. You can't just for God's sakes, Vox is calling for the dis- the dissolution of the Senate. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know it's not like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars, but still at the same time, that's how easy it is. Yeah. That's how easy it is to say this is unfair. We should get rid of the Senate. The Senate. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, I feel you. Sorry, so I got, folks I got, I got out there a little in, angry there. In, in listener land, um, if if you have any thoughts, what do, what do you think? Come reach out to us on uh, on Reddit. Reach out to us on Facebook. Let us know. Do you think that the electoral college is uh, just reinforcing white supremacy? Do you think that mm. um, it's just a bunch of powerful people keeping power? Do you think we should abolish it? Um, should we change it? Uh, should we leave it the same? I'd like to hear from you guys. Um, so reach out. Send us an email. Write us a note. Yeah, and we would love to hear from you guys because we certainly don't want to hear from beans. Unfortunately, we have reached the time in the show where Beans comes through and points out all the errors and, you know, factual misjudgments or maybe just picks on me. Uh, You know, whatever tickles his fancy. Beans, what do you got? 
Evan, Mike, welcome to the most revered and esteemed fellowship in modern podcasting. Welcome to Beanzo's Buddies. I trust you both, like those that have preceded you and those buds still to come, will carry yourselves with dignity and commitment to the truth that I exemplify. The sort of dignity and commitment to the truth that two podcast hosts, who had virtually nothing to add about the Mueller report this episode, don't know a thing about. Evan, I was especially heartened by your comment. Clearly others can see the gaping holes of logic and muddy nature of the arguments being presented on this show. I'm almost certain you got theory to come out against consistency today. Well done. If you'll allow me to offer a critique, though, you're way too easy on these guys. Observe. <clears throat> theory, as the right-leaning voice on this show, and someone who complains about intellectual elites attempting to subvert the will of the majority, mar market, or whatever you call it, are you saying you're in favor of the electoral college because the elites, uh, electors, can step in and subvert, so, sorry, redirect the will of the people? Since, you're mad at corporations. Wow. Thank goodness you got on your soapbox and brought up a subject matter you rarely discuss. It's all right, man. It actually might be better to stay in your wheelhouse. After all, last episode you insisted that Operation Brownstone, a favorite conspiracy theory of the Pizzagate crowd, was a CIA venture to use underage prostitutes to blackmail people. Operation Brownstone is a conspiracy theory with zero corroborating evidence, you worthless hack. You also said a broken clock is wrong twice a day. So let's just keep it at mean corporations, bad. That, Evan, is how you do that. Fellas, back to you. Dang, Bean's kind of caught me with my pants down there. I mean, he, he Operation Brown's the Pizzagate conspiracy. Guys, I'm sorry. Uh, that's just one of those little factoids. I guess I we ran on the week. internet and stuck in the back of my head and regurgitated as, as yeah. fact oof. No, but you, man, you know what? I, I don't even think that that was the spirit of Evan's comment, man. I think he was just trying to open a dialogue. And Beans, why do you have to ruin everything, man? Ah, but okay. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, Evan, Barry. Mike, we really appreciate you guys coming on as patrons. Time um, Magazine, and, 100 you know, Most I just, Influential I can't people. say enough about what? I'm I'm trying to do the outro, man. I can't say enough did, about how much we did appreciate you see the cover? Did you everything. see who was on the cover, and though? And we would love to did have you? more of you give us feedback. What? What? Who? Taylor Swift. <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Beanzo, beloved star of the critically acclaimed show, The Bean Pod. I want to thank all of you for taking a moment to check out my side project, The Sense and Theory Podcast. Remember, if you need an extra dose of truth and integrity between shows, you can find all the links to contact my social media team at senseandtheorypodcast.com. You can also join the movement that's sweeping the nation by donating five bucks a month and becoming an official Beanzo buddy at patreon.com slash senseandtheory. And finally, don't forget that my segments normally start somewhere between 55 minutes or an hour in. So you can always just skip ahead to the best part. Beans. This is your gracious host, Beanzo, signing off.